The first lesson is from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, in the fifth chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place with your presence and your power, that all our thoughts, words, and deeds may be to your glory this morning. Amen. Please be seated. Where is the hope? The other day I was listening to the radio first thing in the morning, and the bad news hit me like a sledgehammer. Rockets hitting Ukraine, dozens dead, dozens missing. A worldwide social media influencer who is a self-proclaimed misogynist and had tattooed a bunch of women as his property. People who had been deprived of their rights, struggling with the government to be heard. It was overwhelming, and I turned it off. I couldn't handle it. But that same heartache was awakened multiple times throughout the week as I passed a woman lying on the street in dirty blankets, 
clearly in deep mental distress. As I sat in a coffee shop later on that week and a woman came in and huddled in a corner on the floor, clearly needing more help than we could give her. As I passed so many people asking for money, asking for food on the streets, many of them who had clearly been sleeping outside and who looked up up at me with hopeful and in some cases hopeless eyes, wondering if I would see them, if I would notice them. In the face of such darkness, of such worldwide pain, of people buried in the rubble in Ukraine, women being trafficked around the globe, and here at home, so many hungry and sleepless and suffering people right on our own streets, right outside our doors. Where is the hope? Chuck Colson was an American attorney and political advisor to President Nixon, and he was his self-described hatchet man, known for being a dirty tricks artist and somebody who would literally throw his mother, grandmother under the bus in order to get Nixon re-elected. When Colson was facing arrest for his role in the Watergate scandal, a friend gave him a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and he read it before he was arrested, and he became a Christian, just like that. And after prayer and consultation with a group of friends, he decided to confess to the police the exact crimes that he had committed in uh, reference to the Watergate scandal. And he spent seven months in jail. Colson, later in life, said this, Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope that each of us has is not in who governs us, or what laws are passed, or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is found in the power of God, working in the hearts of people. That's where our hope is in this country, and that's where our hope is in life. We're on our second week of a sermon series on Jesus' best-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, Tim kicked us off by exploring the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus proclaims upon kingdom dwellers. Blessed are those who see their spiritual bankruptcy, those who mourn for the brokenness of the world, those who are vibrating with compassion and forgiveness. These and other traits listed in the Beatitudes are all the characteristics of someone who is learning to follow Jesus, who has spent enough time with him to start absorbing and exhibiting some of Jesus' own kingdom nature. In our reading this week, the Sermon on the Mount continues right from where it dropped off last week, with Jesus telling his disciples that they are the equivalent of two of the most common elements in the world, salt and light. What is Jesus saying by this, and why does it immediately follow his pronouncement of blessing? Way back in Genesis 12, verse 2, when God is calling Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, and speaking his covenantal promise of blessing over him, he says this, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this is the pattern of blessing in the kingdom of God. One is blessed always to be a blessing. And so while Jesus spoke these, his beatitudes as pronouncements of blessing upon his followers, he wanted them to know that these blessings were not for them alone. They were for the world. In this kingdom, in the kingdom of God, one is always blessed, not for oneself, but to be a blessing for others. 
So this morning we'll look at that. We'll look at the properties of salt and light and what Jesus meant by comparing his followers to them, and then what impact all of this has for us as we're following Jesus as well. So first, salt. Salt gets a very bad rap these days, uh, which is too bad. I really love it. I love anything salty. Um, But sodium warnings are everywhere, and for good reason. If you get too much of it, it's a bad thing. We do need salt to live, however. And there are two primary functions of salt that are as relevant and important today as they were in Jesus' day, as a flavor enhancer and as a preservative and healing agent. And both of these have something crucial to tell us about how Jesus sees his followers in the world. As a flavor enhancer, salt is vital. The New York Times best-selling book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, by Samin Nostrat says this, salt has a greater impact on flavor than any other ingredient. Its relationship to flavor is multidimensional, and some of this I didn't know. It has its own particular taste, and it it enhances the flavor of other ingredients. It minimizes bitterness better than sugar in some cases, balances out sweetness, enhances aromas, and heightens our entire experience of eating. Without salt, unpleasant tastes are more perceptible, and pleasant ones are less so. In other words, without salt, the entire experience of eating would be far different and less enjoyable. So as a metaphor for a Jesus follower, what does this hold for us? People who are spending time with Jesus and becoming like him are not only catching the beautiful flavor of Jesus himself, themselves, but they're also enhancing the flavor of everything and everyone around them. Think back to the growth that Tim spoke of last week in the Beatitudes. The Holy Spirit living in us begins to awaken a new sensitivity in us to both the deep pain and the exquisite joy of living. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their need for God. Blessed are those who mourn the brokenness of the world, those who hunger and thirst for justice and shalom and peace. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see beauty as God sees it, not just in nature and art and people, things that are obvious, but in the more subtle beauty of a soft spirit, an act of compassion. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart that, because of its proximity to Jesus, grows constantly more open to love and delight. He awakens us in a new way to the depth and richness the flavor of the human experience. Christians often have the reputation of being buzzkills and party poopers. And all too often, that reputation is deserved. But Jesus was just the opposite. Like salt is to food, Jesus was to parties. He was a party enhancer. He made more wine when the wine ran out and had a reputation as a drunkard and a glutton, someone who hung out with the sketchiest of people. Where Jesus was, there was the life of the party, and people wanted to be around him. They loved it. And what Jesus is saying is that being his follower means that you have the same party-enhancing potential, the same eyes for beauty and pain and joy and sorrow. In other words, the same essence of the Holy Spirit living in you, as Jesus did. You are the salt of the earth, he says, by following me, By becoming like me, you bring out the best flavor in any situation. 
You minimize bitterness. You heighten the experience of life. You are the salt of the earth. And salt isn't just a flavor enhancer. It's also important as a preservative and a healing agent. And it's been used this way for millennia. A report from the National Institutes for Health says, prior to refrigeration, salt was one of the best methods for inhibiting growth and survival of undesirable microorganisms. Although modern-day advances, electricity, have largely diminished this role, salt remains in widespread use for preventing rapid spoilage. And this is one reason that you find so high sodium in our canned goods and preservatives. It's all because it gives them a longer shelf life. So both today and, more importantly, in Jesus' day when there was no electricity and therefore no fridges or freezers, salt has been important as a preservative and healing agent. Rub it into fish or salt, and it arrests and prevents the spread of rot and bacteria. And salt water is well known as a home remedy. I'm sure many of you have had the experience of swirling salt into water and swishing it around in your mouth to get rid of a sore. Think about what this means as an analogy. And what a cool picture of the nature of a Christ follower. By our very nature, by our proximity to Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're acting as a preserving, protecting, and healing influence in the world. Disrupting, diminishing, and halting the effects of sin wherever they may be found through the acts of love that Christ calls us to. But, Jesus continues, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be made salty again? And this is a scary thought for many. If we lose our saltiness and we're tossed out, what does Jesus mean? And to be honest, the commentators have wrestled with this, and there were a lot of different answers, because on some level, Jesus is asking an entirely nonsensical question. There is actually no physical way for salt to lose its saltiness. The characteristic of saltiness is inherent to salt. And so if it loses its saltiness, it means it wasn't salt in the first place. It was something else. And I think maybe that's Jesus' point. Christians have a temptation to self-preservation. We hear something like, if salt loses its saltiness, and we begin thinking that we need to start protecting ourselves from anything that might take away our saltiness. We need to avoid rubbing up against people who don't think like us who have different political or societal or religious uh, learning leanings than we do. We need to avoid being contaminated by association. But that's exactly what's not needed when it comes to salt. Salt can't lose its saltiness. Jesus says to his disciples, to those who follow them, that they are the salt of the earth. And like the Beatitudes, saltiness is in the very nature and essence of those who follow Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit living in them. Like salt can't lose its saltiness, we can't lose the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that when we believe in Jesus, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Our nature, our essence, has fundamentally changed and cannot be lost. And so despite the uncertainty, despite all the risks and the questions and sometimes awkwardness of it all, as Christ followers, we're meant to be living right in the world, getting dirty, rubbing shoulders with all parts of it, being rubbed in, as it were, countering the effects of sin wherever they may be found through our presence and our acts of love. And in doing so, we begin to rub off as well. 
spreading the flavor of Jesus wherever we go. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, Jesus continues. Although the invention of electricity has meant that we almost never experience complete darkness, anyone who ever has knows the powerful effect that darkness can have in installing, instilling fear. I was speaking to somebody after the first service, and he was telling me about an experience he had in a cave where it was entirely pitch black, and you, he couldn't see the, the face in front of his hand, or his hand in front of his face. But then somebody lit a match, and the entire cave lit up, one little match. And that's the effect a light has. The smallest light can have in the darkness, shattering it, revealing the world, and dispelling fear. In first century Israel, when darkness would have been much more pervasive, the common small one-room homes were often lit by one lamp, which was set up on a stand so that it would better provide light for the house. So it was a very, like salt, a very, very common element, a very normal picture of a daily item that Jesus is using to make his point. So what is his point? Well, ever since humans first turned away from God, we've lived in spiritual darkness, groping about for the meaning of life. And we've sought it in all kinds of ways, through the pursuit of pleasure, happiness, wealth, beauty, knowledge, you name it. All the things that seem like they might fulfill us, they might dispel the darkness and give us purpose. But the Bible tells us that none of these things will ultimately bring joy. The beautiful prologue of John's gospel tells of a light that shines into this darkness. The word of God, the light of the world, who gives light to everyone who believes him. And every single person who sees that light and who acknowledges that Jesus is the light of the world, once they've accepted him for who he is, becomes a light themselves. 2 Corinthians 4 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our hearts begin shining, lit with the Holy Spirit. And the only way to not shine is to actively hide that light. We're shining. We're shining with Christ. Back in Jesus' day, no matches meant that lighting lamps was not as easy as it is now. And so if the owner of the house was leaving, maybe for a short time, he would take an earthen basket and he would cover the lamp to protect it, to stop it from going out, to stop it from burning down anything. But, Jesus says, a lamp under such a basket also doesn't fulfill its purpose. And we're back to the point he was making about salt. We don't need to worry about our light going out. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we are lit by something beyond ourselves. We're shining. We have no need to protect ourselves by hiding or covering up our knowledge of the light of Christ. And yet it's such an easy thing to do, isn't it? On talking together about this passage, both Tim and I easily came up with examples of how each of us had chosen actively to hide our light, to not say something when it would have made more sense to say it, about the hope that we have in Jesus. But it's precisely in letting, the act of letting our light shine, pointing to Jesus who is the true source of our light, that enables people to connect God's love with our acts of love. 
to see the ways that we act as a preservative and a healing agent in the world and to give God the glory instead of us. You are the light of the world, lit by the Holy Spirit, and you are shining. So back to the question we began with, quoting Chuck Colson, where is the hope? Our hope, he said, is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And Chuck Colson, when he got out of prison, became a living testimony to this, an example both of salt as a preservative and a flavoring and healing agent, and light pointing to Jesus. Upon his release, he went on to found Prison Fellowship in 1976, which is still active and flourishing today. And their website states this, every person is made in the image of God. No life is beyond his reach. Prison Fellowship exists to serve all those affected by crime and incarceration and to see lives and communities restored in and out of prison, one transformed life at a time. Prison Fellowship has since become the world's largest Christian nonprofit organization for prisoners, former prisoners, and their families, and a leading advocate for justice reform. Salt and light. But we don't all have to go out and found a new ministry, and that's not what I'm saying. If we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we are already salt, flavoring and preserving. We are already light, shining with Christ in whatever community we are in. So how are we flavoring that community with the beautiful flavor of Jesus? How are we seeing where the effects of sin can be countered and healed by an act of kindness or mercy or forgiveness? Where are we seeing that a word spoken, a light shone into the darkness, might transform hearts, might point people to the true light that is Jesus? We're not helpless in the face of the world's misery. We as Jesus followers hold everything that we need, all the potential and the power of salt and light, of making a real and lasting difference in the world, because every act of kingdom bringing is an act that will last forever. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So let's be who we are to the glory of our almighty God. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.